0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Fantastic. Such wisdom in this church with so many godly couples. Y'all have enough tissues in this area, by the way? Y'all okay over there? Mary said it was ridiculous how much she cried the first service watching it, so I guess she got all that out. But, you know, I just as I was watching that, I was thinking with family, what, what, if, what if our goal became men and women with children, you know, families, what if our goal became in 20 or 30 or 40 years, if our kids watched a video of our life, that they'd be proud of what we accomplished? That's a pretty neat goal. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for uh, the godly people you've brought to this church over the years. And uh, Lord, you have just continued to bring people of great character and great faithfulness to lead this church, Father, to be part of this church. And we're so thankful for that, Father. We we stand on their shoulders. Uh, we, we reach newer and newer heights because of the work they've done over the years, Father. I thank you for these precious couples that we've kind of highlighted over the last several weeks. More to come, Father. So many more we could have highlighted. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for what they've given and what they've done, Lord. I, I pray that as, as younger families, we'd be able to take some of that wisdom and knowledge, apply it to our lives, Father, and have a strong marriage, stronger marriage because of it, Lord. I thank you for what you've shown us in your word. I thank you for what you're going to show us today and, and the truth of Scripture. I pray, Father, in the, in the midst of this study, that we, we would be mindful of your power And your control in our lives, over our marriages especially, Father. Give us hope and joy and peace in our marriages. And Father, I pray we take what we've learned today, as we do every Sunday, and apply it to our lives. And then through the power of the Spirit, Father, I pray we would be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So take your Bibles and open up to the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. So kind of find Psalms in the middle and take a ride. If you haven't been with us, we are continuing our study that we've called Passionate Pursuit. And we've said every Sunday, and I just feel like I need to remind you of this. This is a study of love and romance and passion through the Song of Songs. I feel like I need to remind you every Sunday morning this idea of intimacy and sexuality and romance and love and passion. All of those things are God's idea. He created those things for our enjoyment. He created those things so that we can have those within the confines of a marriage so we can find pleasure. The world says one thing, Scripture says something usually very different, and I think it's important as we study through this to understand that God has a plan and He wants to do great things in your marriage. Now, we've been kind of walking through this process of studying this young couple, and we've seen in the course of our study, and one of the things that I'm... I'm, kind of understanding even more about this study that I'm liking even more is that it really kind of speaks to everybody. It's not just a book for those that are married because we started our study with this couple dating and engaged and looking forward to marriage. And so we had a lot to say to people that are not there yet, people that are younger, that are thinking about marriage, that are thinking about engagement, that are looking forward one day to their wedding and their marriage. So we've, we've been able to talk to kind of younger people that are not quite there yet. And then the couple gets married. And so we've talked a lot about what the marriage relationship ought to look like and how you ought to love and sacrifice and give for one another. Last week we kind of walked through the, the wedding actually two weeks ago and then the wedding night last, last uh, Sunday night or last Sunday morning and we talked about the importance of kind of the two becoming one and the anticipation and excitement of that and the exploration that the couple has with one another. We talked about the idea of the affirmation after that and the joy and fulfillment that comes when a a couple that's married physically are joined together and the joy and happiness that comes with that. So we've kind of seen this progression of this couple falling more and more in love getting married, the wedding night, but we've said a few minutes ago that this really speaks to everybody, younger, those that are looking forward to marriage, those that are already married, and this sermon this morning is very interesting to me because we're going to see this morning that this couple is going to experience kind of some difficult problems. They're going to experience some conflict, and so this morning we're going to be thinking about the idea of conflicts within a marriage. Now you know if you've been married long enough that most marriages begin great, right? There's excitement with the wedding, there's excitement about the life to come, but if we're not careful, that excitement kind of deteriorates and we know, all of us that have been married know very clearly, that no couple lives happily ever after with no problems. We know that, right? We understand that conflict is part of marriage, So the question is not, will we have struggles in our marriage or will we have conflicts in our marriage? The real question is, when we have conflicts, how do we deal with it? How do we maintain Christ-likeness in the midst of struggles and conflicts of marriage? Because we see this couple, and we've kind of walked through this process, this is kind of the ideal couple. They're in love, they've been thinking about their wedding, they've been anticipating uh, the, the night they can spend with each other, and the marriage, and dreaming about their life together. And even with this kind of, almost this fairy tale type of a couple, it's almost perfect up to this point. We're going to see today that even this couple is going to struggle. And so I want you to hear me before we kind of delve into the the text this morning. We're going to speak to the idea of of kind of conflict in marriage, what the Bible says about it. We're going to give some very practical things that will help you in conflict. But here's a truth you need to understand. If you're struggling in marriage right now, and I know people go through struggles, If you're in conflict right now in your marriage, you need to know there's a very simple biblical truth that God really does want to work in your marriage and he wants your marriage to fill you with joy and fulfillment. And so even in the midst of struggles, even in the midst of difficulties, you need to hold on to the truth that God's got a plan for your marriage. It was his idea and he can redeem and fix the issues you're dealing with if you'll let him. If you'll maintain a close understanding of the truth of God's word, if you'll live your life in a way that honors Christ, I promise you, he can fix your marriage. So we're going to delve right into this this morning. Some of you are thinking, my marriage is great. Do I need to hear this? Yeah, because there are red flags you need to be looking for. If your marriage is strong, keep it strong and be aware of the things that can disturb that. So we're going to jump right in this morning. Now, Song of Songs. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. Now, just a little bit of a a side note here for some context you'll understand. Remember, the Song of Songs is poetic. It's not a historical narrative. And so we don't kind of get caught up in the the weeds and the facts and the chronology. So what we need to understand about chapter 5, verse 2, is that the wedding and the wedding night have passed. Beginning in chapter 5, verse 2, we're somewhere in the future now. We don't know how far ahead scholars debate. Could be a few weeks, a few months, a few years, but we've kind of left the wedding scene, the early part of the marriage. We've moved on now to kind of a different phase of their marriage. And the woman is going to speak now in verse 2 of chapter 5. Her words I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. Now he says, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my, now she's speaking again in verse 3. I had put off my garment, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed Me, when he spoke, I sought him but found him not. I called him but he gave no answer. Let's stop there for a minute. I'm going to give you the first truth and we're going to think through it. Here's an issue that this couple deals with, a conflict they deal with that's still prevalent today. And if we're not aware of it and if we don't deal with it, it'll cause us problems in our marriage. Here's the first truth we see. This couple had, number one, unmet expectations. They had unmet expectations. Now let's kind of walk through this text and understand, first of all, what's happening in this scripture and then begin to apply it to our lives. This woman in chapter 5, beginning verse 2, is asleep. She's in her bed, she's tired, she's probably been waiting on her husband to come home. In fact, what we probably understand is that she kind of prepared to see him, she was excited to see him. Several hours earlier, she would have greeted him differently, but it's gotten later and later, she's tired, she's kind of gotten ready for bed, she's gotten in bed now, she's fallen asleep. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. It's her husband. He shows up probably late after work. He's been working hard all day. It's interesting the Bible describes him and says that he's got uh, wet dew on his head, droplets from the night. He's probably sweaty. He's probably been working really hard. He shows up after a hard hard day's work. He's excited to see his wife. He's eager to be with her. He hopes that she's going to greet him in a different manner. And he says to her, listen, open the door, my love, my perfect one, right? He was excited to come home. He was excited to see her. Now, look at how she responds in verse 3. Pull that back up if you would, please. Here's what she says. I put off my garment. How could I put it on? I bathe my feet. How could I soil them? In other words, she's saying, listen, I'm tired. (laughs) I'm sleepy. Uh, Three hours ago would have been a little bit different for me, but I'm really not in the mood right now. One scholar kind of phrased it like this. Her response in modern day terms might be, I have a headache. (laughs) I waited up for you, but now it's way past midnight. If you can't get yourself home at a decent hour, don't expect a special attention from me when you arrive. I know none of us have ever heard that, guys. we are like, what? So, so here, let's, let's kind of summarize. Here's the bottom line, right? She's expecting him to be home early. She's excited about seeing him. He's expecting her to be awake and ready for him when he arrives, right? Neither one of them are wrong. And this is an interesting kind of thing we need to understand in marriage. Neither one of them are wrong. They, they've both got good ideas. They just, this is important, watch this. They've just got different expectations. You understand that? She's got one set of expectations, He's got a very different set of expectations. And those expectations go unmet. Now, we we could kind of think through this scenario more because we understand this scenario. But this idea of unmet expectations can play itself out in thousands of different ways throughout your life and your marriage. A, A simple example would be something like this. Maybe you've got Saturday off, guys. And you decide on Saturday you're going to do some yard work. There's some things that you're behind on. You need to cut the grass and kind of do that stuff. But then there's some other things outside that you're behind on. You need to work at. And you've got to fix some things up. And you know you're not going to be off for another couple weeks. And you've got to use Saturday to get this stuff in the yard done. And you know you've kind of been thinking about this through the week. On Saturday I'm going to get up early and pretty much work all day outside. That's kind of your expectation of Saturday. Nothing wrong with it. It's your expectation. Your wife, on the other hand, has got a different expectation. She knows that there's some company coming over Saturday night for dinner. The house is a wreck. Dishes need to be done. The bathrooms need to be cleaned. So she's got this expectation that you're going to help her in the house, washing dishes, vacuuming, doing clothes. Again, nothing wrong with that. Just a different set of expectations. So you get up Saturday morning... You get dressed, right, put on your overalls, coveralls, whatever, boots, old stuff, hat, gloves, whatever. You go walking out the door. She goes, well, where, where are you going? Well, I'm going to work in the yard. I've got this, you know, you start listening. She said, no, 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 you've got to understand. We've got people coming over tonight, and you've got to help me clean. And, and if she starts ticking the things off, you've got to do, right, your blood pressure you just wrote, I didn't expect this. I didn't know this is what you assumed I was going to do, right? I've got this expectation. You've got a different expectation. Nothing wrong with either person. They're just vastly different, aren't they? Conflict arises within marriage when we have unmet expectations. Now, just a little secret about marriage if you don't already know this, you're going to live your life with different expectations than your wife or your husband. Did you know that? That's just life. We're individuals. And so my expectations are different than my wife's. Now, there's nothing wrong. Again, we just have different ideas. Men, you kind of know this. You probably figure this out depending on how long you've been married, but I bet your expectations before marriage were different than your wife's expectations before marriage. I remember our, our honeymoon, Amy and I had some very interesting conversations. About expectations within the marriage. I kind of assume some things. She assumes some different things. And and part of marriage is kind of figuring out what those expectations are. We see this couple in chapter 5 of Song of Songs. They've got very different expectations. And we could call this a lot of different things in our world. We can call this a lot of different things in our marriage. But if we're not careful, these expectations basically get to the point where we become very selfish in what we do. Where it's not really about what my wife needs, it's about what I want to do. It's not about how I can, men watch this, it's not about how I can give myself for her or serve her or give up whatever I wanted to give up for the betterment of the marriage. It's not about that, it's about me becoming selfish. And when unmet expectations drive us to the point of selfishness, we're in trouble. Here's what James chapter 4 Verses 1 through 3 says, You're going to recognize these verses. It, there's an interesting question posed right at the beginning of this chapter. What causes quarrel, quarrels and fights among you? That's the question. So, why do you fight? Why do you have quarrels? Here's what James says Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. See, the problem of unmet expectations is, if we're not careful, it very quickly becomes selfishness. And selfishness within a marriage is a bad problem to have so I'm going to give you, very simply, very quickly, three things you can understand and three practical ways you can probably do a better job in your marriage with unmet expectations. Now Let me just say this to you. These three things are probably not going to be groundbreaking for you. You've probably heard them before. Probably nothing new that you've not seen before, things you've probably read about or maybe even thought yourself. The question isn't, do we understand how to deal with it? The question is, are we dealing with it properly? Because understanding unmet expectations and properly dealing with them as Christians can be very different sometimes. So three things, very simply, we can do to deal with unmet expectations. Number one, we have them on the screen. Identify your expectations to your spouse. Now this seems like a no-brainer. Right, kind of, duh, right? Of course we should identify our expectations. But how many fights have you gotten into? How many quarrels have you had? How many conflicts begin? Because you've got one set of expectations and she's got a very different set of expectations. Imagine if we could just kind of talk about our expectations. Imagine if I, as a husband, or she, as a wife, were a little proactive in our marriage. What if we begin to understand that unmet expectations were problems? What if we kind of tried to head that off at the pass, and so instead of waiting until Saturday morning as I'm walking out the door, I say to her sometime in the middle of the week, now listen, honey, Saturday I've got the day off, I'm planning on cutting the grass. That's kind of my expectation for Saturday. At that point, guess what she gets to do? She gets to say, okay, well, I, I had a different expectation, right? We're not in the middle of a conflict. We're not angry. We're not walking out the door to get things done. We're kind of in a rational place. We can have this calm discussion and maybe come to some conclusions, right? So number one is we need to identify the expectation. Number two, discuss why those expectations are important. Listen, Amy, I'm planning Saturday to cut the grass, I need to cut the grass because I'm not off work again for a while. It's already getting high. It's rained. If I don't do something Sunday or Saturday, it's going to be out of control. I need to cut the grass. She says that that's very important. I get that. But we got people coming over Saturday afternoon. If we don't get the house clean, it's going to look terrible and we're going to be embarrassed. And so we get this opportunity as we're calm, right? As we got level heads. To kind of think through and understand expectations and then discuss expectations with each other. And number three, we get to now resolve how these expectations can be either met, adjusted, or changed. Right In our conversation, I begin to understand her expectations. She, begin to understand, she begins to understand my expectations. We get to talk about, look, what can we do now to resolve this? Because we've got very different expectations. You're expecting something different from me. I'm expecting something different from you. How can we resolve? Can we change it? Can we modify it? Can we abandon it? How, how is this going to work, right? But we do it in this conversation where we're calm, under control, exhibiting Christ-likeness, right? What, what did Christ do? He gave himself for others. He loved others even when they were unlovable. He was patient with people. He sacrificed for the good of other people, right? We begin to think about those things and put them in the marriage, and we begin to work together, and we begin to talk about our expectations, we begin to remember Christ as our example, and all of a sudden things begin to change. No longer is it this kind of flashpoint on Saturday morning where we're arguing and mad because our expectations are unmet. Instead, we're proactive, we talk, we sacrifice, we live Christ-likeness in front of the other person, and this issue gets resolved. Again, we, we all understand the model, we just have a hard time doing it, don't we? It's not about understanding what needs to happen. It's about figuring out within the marriage how to actually make it happen. That's a struggle too many people have, right? So this idea of unmet expectations is kind of the center, it's really the core of what's going on with this couple, with this family. And by the way, unmet expectations, unresolved expectations over time cause real problems in a marriage. They'll drive a wedge between you and your spouse. You just can't continue to allow that to happen. Now look at verse 6. Let's continue this morning. So the woman, right? some point in the process, it seems as if she has a change of heart, right? She's not willing to get up, not willing to put her shoes on. He's not home like he should have been. She's asleep. She wants to stay in bed. But at some point, she decides to get up, right? So verse 6, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone, right? She's no longer there. So maybe she waited too long. Maybe she just didn't, didn't give him enough time, but when she gets there, he's gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Verse 7, so the watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him I am sick with love. Right? So she goes out and looks for him. She tries to find him. She can't see him anywhere. Most scholars believe in verse 7 the idea of the watchman beating her is kind of her beating herself up. She regrets what she's what she did and how she treated him, but she can't do anything about it now. She's looking for him, she can't find him. Alright, so progression, watch this. Unresolved expectations coupled with number two, point number two, poor communication. Unmet expectations coupled with poor communication, leads now, at this point in this marriage, to separation. Now, the word is a little bit different than we use it because we think about separation in a marriage. We're separated, considering divorce, we're moving out. When I say separation here, I mean they're just apart. But the unmet expectation, along with poor communication, leads them to this point of separation. Now, they're not together. She can't find them. Now, of all the interesting things that happen in these few verses... Of all the different things that take place, the one thing that's very noticeably absent in the midst of this conflict is that this couple doesn't talk about what just happened. They both have expectations. The expectations aren't met. They get frustrated. They don't at that moment talk about it and try to resolve the conflict. He kind of storms off angrily, and now they're separated. One writer explained it like this as we think about conflict within the marriage. He says, conflict... Can be resolved at this very first stage if one of the persons in the relationship will be mature enough to sit back, analyze, and pray about the situation. Make a measured response that's loving, kind, and aimed at a greater positive in the future. If we could just communicate, even if we've got unmet expectations even as we kind of get into this moment of conflict, if we can kind of stop in that moment and have a rational, level-headed conversation, oftentimes we can kind of head some of these things off. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We, We get so busy in our lives that we don't have time for good communication anymore. And when we don't have time for good communication, the only time we communicate is when we're arguing, chances are that communication is going to be poor. Because if you're not used to having good conversations, and you haven't been building each other up with tenderness and love in normal times, when you get into that kind of heated moment and that argument and that confrontation, chances are you're not going to say the things that she's going to appreciate, or ladies, you're not going to say the things that he's going to appreciate and so we, we get involved in the world and in schedules and kids and recreation and jobs and careers and all of those things, if we're not careful, push to the side the important things of marriage. And it's just a lot easier not to communicate because we've got so many other things going on. So I want to give you this morning, again, just trying to be very practical, I want to give you some help with this idea of communication I don't think any of it's going to be fresh news to you but I would just encourage you you need to begin to apply these things to your life because I will promise you one thing I've said this before and I'll continue to say this because I think it's worth you hearing over and over when couples are struggling and I have a chance to speak with them one of the questions I always ask is about communication tell me about your communication how often are you talking? What are you talking about? What are those conversations like? And usually the couple will say something like this, we don't really talk much anymore. Really, how long has that been going on? It's been several years, they'll say. It's been a few years. We, we talk a little bit now, but not a lot, and oftentimes it turns into an argument. So let me just, here's kind of a shot across the bow for your marriage If you're at a point in your marriage right now that you think things are pretty good, at least from the outside looking in, but you're not having meaningful communication with your spouse, you're headed for a bad place. You just need to know that. And you need to fix it now. Don't wait three years from now and go, you know, a couple of years ago we started really not talking and I realized something was changing, but we didn't do anything about it. We were too busy. Don't be that couple. Be proactive in what you're doing, especially as it comes to communication. So here's some things, some practical things that will help you with communication. Number one, make communication a priority in your marriage. Communication ought to be a priority. If it's not, you need to make it one. Now, guys, I'm going to step on your toes, so get ready, okay? Just be prepared. I can say it because I think it myself sometimes. Men, there is nothing on TV that's more important than your marriage. There's no sports game, men, that's more important than your marriage. And I love sports now. I mean, football says 50 days of college football. I get it. I'm there. I'm with you. I understand. But that's not more important than my marriage. And if my wife needs to talk to me about something important, I mean, we'll try to do it other than a Saturday afternoon if we can help it. <laughs> however, however, if we needed to talk about it, it's not more important than watching the, it's, the football games. just not that important. Ladies, Nothing on Facebook is more important than your husband. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> nothing online, your laptop, television. Nothing is more important than communicating with your spouse. It just has to be a priority. God created us to be in relationship and to be in fellowship. And in order for that to work, we got to communicate with each other. It's got to be a priority. Number two, we need to have meaningful conversations. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Let me just read what one writer said. It it sums it up. I think it'll help us understand. Speaking of meaningful conversation, he said, it's something we used to do so naturally, but then things changed. About five years and two daughters later, Aaron and I woke up and realized that our conversations had mutated. We were focused, now watch this, we were focused on administrating our marriage talking about the budget, schedule, to-do list, working through conflict, talking about how to keep up with our busy lives. We wondered what happened to our long walks through the miles of trails in Arizona, the talks we had while shooting baskets at the park, or even the laughter we shared together over things that were irrelevant. Where had all the interaction gone? I think that's right. Man, I have four kids in a very busy life like so many of you, and if I'm not careful, the conversation with my wife becomes, okay, what are we doing tomorrow? Did you cash the check? Who's taking the kids here? Who's taking the kids there? Okay, good talk, good night, I'll see you in the morning, right? That's kind of what it turns into. And I'm reminded of Scripture that tells us we need, we need to kind of deepen. Proverbs says we need to deepen our understanding of our spouse. We're not going to deepen the understanding of our spouse by talking about the budget. Again, those kind of conversations need to happen. But if those are the only kind of conversations you're having, I think you're not having meaningful conversations. You need to talk about likes, dislikes, fears, hopes, dreams. You know, I, I want to say something to you that may seem kind of radical, but I think it's something you ought to kind of apply to your life, especially if you're kind of married with kids and schedule and all that kind of stuff. You ought to have times with your wife or your husband where you literally say, listen, we're not going to talk about kids or career. Somebody of you are thinking what is there to talk about man I mean that's 98% of what we say I was kind of crickets chirping there's nothing to say now right and it may be like that for a while but I think you need to stick to it till you get to a point where you're kind of talking again like you used to not talking about schedules and budgets again those things are important you have the time for those but you need to have a priority to have meaningful conversation where you deepen your understanding of your spouse Number three, as you talk and as you have conversations, you don't need to be harsh or judgmental. And let me say this, men, because this is something men kind of don't get sometimes. How you speak is as important as what you say. Men, we have this tendency sometimes we begin to raise our voice and our wife says, don't yell. I'm not yelling. This is not yelling, right? Because we're used to being a little louder, maybe a little more assertive. And if she thinks it's yelling, by the way, it's yelling, just FYI, right? But we need to be careful in the way we talk with one another. We need to be loving. We need to be respectful. We don't need to be harsh or judgmental. We need need to be, number five, we need to be aware of how we respond to each other. It's not so much about, I read a book years ago, and the premise of the book was interesting. And and as I started reading the book, I didn't think I was going to believe it. But basically, the the premise of the book was, you're not going to be judged on your actions. You're going to be judged on your reactions. Because the guy said in the book, we can all act the right way when things are going well. It's pretty easy to act right when things are good. How do you react when things are bad? That's the question. And then you're in the midst of a conflict and you're being selfish about something. You're not getting what you want. How do you react to that? You say, how am I supposed to act in those situations? Just look to Christ. Look to the way he reacted when people did things wrong with him. Did you know he never stood up and say, how dare you treat me like this you have no right to say that to me he just took it he said father forgive them for they know not what they do we need to be very careful in the way we respond we need to be careful in the way we talk we need to have conversations that are meaningful on a regular basis and then as we're talking we need to listen as well did you know listening is as important as talking did you know that the old saying two ears one mouth right and we need to listen. We need to be active in the way that we listen. Man, we, we shouldn't be listening in such a way that as our wife is speaking, we're kind of loading up our next salvo. I can't wait till she finishes so I can say this, right? And then we're not even paying attention to what she's saying. Just stop, listen. I'm listening to you. I'm, I'm trying to understand what you're saying. I don't understand what you're saying to me. Let me understand, right? We need to listen and have conversations. If you're at a point in your marriage where you're struggling with communication, you're, you're on a bad path, right? So progression. Again, just think through this with me, right? So the unmet expectations, coupled with poor communication leads now to this idea of separation. They're apart. Now pick up in verse nine of chapter five. We're, we're winding this down. So now the friends are saying, what is your beloved more than any other beloved? Oh, most beautiful among women. What is your beloved more than another beloved? That you thus adjure us. So, in other words, they're saying to this woman, "What's the big deal about this guy that we need to look for him and help you find him?" A side note: This is I'm not going to get into this this morning, but verses 10 through 16. It's oftentimes a good idea when we're in the middle of a conflict or a bad situation with our spouse to be reminded of the good things about that person, because these next few verses are all good. She's not going to talk badly about him, poorly, I hate him, he's, he's dumb, he does, he does stupid stuff, I, I can't stand to be around him. None of those things. She's going to instead praise him. And we've talked about this before, but a real simple rule is you praise your spouse to their face. You pray about their shortcomings, right? Right? We do just the opposite a lot of times. We, we like to hammer them and we tell them all the things they've done wrong and I can't believe you're treating me this way. I can't believe you said these things to me and you're so wrong. Listen to how she defines and describes her spouse. Verse 10. My beloved is radiant and ruddy distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a, a full pool, right? She just goes on. I'm not gonna read all. She just talks about how much she loves him. He's strong and his appearance is beautiful. Now, verse one of chapter six. Where has your beloved gone, they ask? Oh, most beautiful among women. Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you, right? So we're gonna go find him. We want to know where he's gone. Her response in verse 2. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He gazes, grazes among the lilies. Now just an interesting thing we need to understand before I give you truth number 3. Somewhere between the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, something changes with this couple. Because what we see, let's just remember back now to some things we studied in previous weeks. In number two, chapter two of chapter, ch- verse two of chapter six, the woman refers to the garden. Now you remember a couple of weeks ago when we referred to the garden, she was talking about herself, right? She's a locked garden, all the flowers and the fruits that he wants to enjoy. We talk about that physical aspect. So she's saying in verse two, my beloved has gone down to his garden to the bed of spices to graze in the gardens to gather the lilies, right? So they're back together now. This physical union and verse 3, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. So number 3, here's what we're going to see and then I'm going to kind of unpack it very quickly. Number 3, we see forgiveness and reconciliation. Now this is one of those moments in scripture and I'm just, this is my personal opinion, this is my idea. It's a little frustrating to me. Because somewhere between the end of chapter 5 where they've had unmet expectations, failure to communicate, separation, and the beginning of chapter 6, they've kind of fixed all that. And I really wish the Lord would have included maybe another chapter and help us understand, okay, what happened now, right? Because I need some info here. Did, did he come back? Did she come back? How did, how did she respond? What was the communication like? How did he say he was sorry? But he doesn't give us any of that. All we see is from this problem they've had and the separation, now there has been forgiveness and there has been reconciliation. So there's two kind of subpoints I want you to see. Stay with me. I'm almost done this morning. Two things I want you to see. This is very important here. Okay, the, the first one, very simply, is that forgiveness and reconciliation are absolutely possible. So wherever you are in your marriage, whatever you're struggling with, whatever your spouse is struggling with, forgiveness and reconciliation are absolutely possible, but maybe a more important truth that'll help you kind of navigate through the process, it's valuable, it's not our job to change our spouse's heart, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. So whatever you're struggling through, your job isn't to argue or debate or defend enough with your spouse that you change your spouse's heart. Right? You shouldn't be coming up with the logical arguments you can use with your spouse to change his or her heart. What you should be doing is praying that through the power of the Spirit, the Spirit would instead change your spouse's heart. Because it's not your job to do it. One, one scholar said this, I thought it was interesting. He said, nagged spouses can't hear the voice of the Lord because their spouse is talking so loudly. Sometimes the louder we speak, the less they're able to hear the voice of the Lord. See, God's given us kind of this model. He's given us this picture that even within the moments of conflict, even in the struggles that we have, we understand that God wants our marriage to be great. He wants us to find hope. And joy and comfort in our spouses. So let me me just encourage you and challenge you. Don't let conflict and struggle rob you of the joy God has for you. Don't let conflict and struggle keep you from realizing all, all God wants to do. Don't let conflict and struggle ruin and destroy what could be a great marriage. God wants you to find joy he wants you to find hope, he wants you to find peace. Seek him, trust him, allow him to do great things in your marriage, and at that moment he will receive honor and glory. The people around you will notice and your marriage will be healed and strengthened for his honor. That's the kind of marriage we ought to be praying for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. It's always clear and compelling and understanding and challenging, Father. I pray for the marriages of this church right now, for those that are struggling, Lord, and even those that are doing well, Lord. I pray that we would just take this truth to heart. We would understand what you've shown us in Scripture, Father, that we would be able to take this truth and apply it to our lives. And then through the power of the Spirit working in our hearts and doing great things among us, I pray that you would heal our marriages. I pray that you would strengthen our marriages and in the midst of that, Father, as the enemy, enemy tries to destroy us, I pray as you strengthen that your name would receive honor and your name would receive glory. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunities we always do. The altars open. You can pray. You can talk to me about salvation or joining the church. But this is your time to respond as we sing together.